Hi, welcome to What Are the Tax Implications? I'm Ron Scott. I'm Jeff Rosenthal. We are your first call tax advocates here once again to help increase your financial and tax knowledge. On this episode of What Are the Tax Implications? We'll be discussing the following topics. Income inflation for a loan. When a taxpayer decides to now include some income that they may not have included in the past so that they can qualify for a loan with a because they have higher income. And what are the tax implications? Also, the below market rate loan. When a family member loans money to another family member, or it doesn't have to be, they could be just friends, and there's no interest rate associated with that loan, there's no documentation, they just loan the money and said, yeah, pay me back when you can. And what are the tax implications of that? And lastly, we'll be discussing the tax implications of benefits such as group life insurance and group disability income insurance that one can get from their employer on what are the tax implications. Whether you're the CEO of your household or of your business, questions constantly arise regarding the tax consequences of your financial circumstance. First Call Tax Advocates is always here to answer your questions and offer educational background regarding the potential tax implications of your action. Ron and Jeff are your first responders. They are board-certified financial and tax professionals with over 60 years of experience. Please visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more about them, explore their resources, and leave a review of your experience. For more urgent matters, please call them toll-free at 833-568-8999. That's 833-568-8999. The topics and responses discussed here are intended for general education. Our discussions are not intended to give you advice on your specific situation. We would advise you to seek advice from a competent and licensed professional. Tax law is always evolving and our discussions are based on the law existing to date. Our first caller, Jeff, is Oswald from Ossining. There's a prison up there? There is. It's called Sing Sing. Interesting. So so uh, Oswald is, um, is wanting to know the tax implications if he were to do this. So whenever anybody asks us, if I decided to do this, it kind of makes me think as if they've already done it, you know? So, so here's what Oswald is asking. So Jeff, here, here he has an opportunity to, to get a, a, a refinancing or a business loan or some kind of a loan. I think it's refinancing. But what he wants to do is he wants to increase his income so he qualifies for the loan. And he thinks he can because he has passed un unreported income and he wants to know should he report it in order to be able to get the loan and what are the tax implications oh boy oh boy oh boy talk (laughs) about the pot at the end of the rainbow oswald you have uh, you have uh, kicked the pot over (laughs) so um we're not encouraging you to not report your income uh we're not attorneys we are tax people um and financial planners, but um, 
the government kind of got wise to this very scenario that you're bringing up and and the, the, the people out there that even try it. And there is legislation that says, should the government discover that you've reported more income to the bank than you did to them, that they can arbitrarily change your tax return and include that income so it would be taxable. Um, if you're reporting more income than you really have just for the purpose of the loan, you could also be committing fraud. I mean, there's a lot of potentially criminal issues. There's a lot of tax issues. So what are you admitting to? Well, he hasn't done it yet, Jeff. He yeah. says he's thinking about it and he wants to be sure he's not doing anything wrong. <laughs> Just the mere question suggests that he is. <laughs> so, so Oswald is looking to to play the game, and his follow up question, probably in a couple of weeks after he does this, is going to be about maybe amending his tax return to maybe include some expenses to reduce his income. Okay, we're not going to project on what Oswald may or may not be doing. As long as he's calling this a game, it tells us his mindset. Right. So. So if one decides to inflate their income, then they open up to questioning, how did that happen that all of a sudden you have all this extra income? And they'll look at prior years. They always do that. They always kind of look back on those uh, filed tax returns and to determine. Now, this if the if, if the IRS expects something. Now, the mortgage company or the bank or the loan company, they're looking for a certain number of months back or a certain number of years. So he may not be successful unless he could show a couple of years at the higher income rates. So when you file for a bank loan, particularly for real estate, uh, as part of that big bundle of the closing documents, they have you sign an IRS form 4506 that gives the bank the authority to get a copy of prior tax returns. So, you know, if you're going to tell a lie, you you, you got to change everything else so that the lie becomes true. And we're, we're not encouraging you to lie. We're not encouraging you to break the law. But um, you really got to think out what you're doing and the consequences of it. So as we give you this education, Oswald, um, before, pre-act, right? You're, you're, you haven't done it yet. Talk to a, a tax professional. Talk to an attorney. Uh, think this through. Your mortgage, the mortgage broker who wants to get the business is probably giving you some interesting advice, but they may be acting in their best interest. Good luck, Oswald. Our next caller is Prudence from Pittsburgh. Actually, it's Aunt Prudence, Jeff. So Aunt Prudence is calling in. She has amassed some wealth and she is very, very family oriented. And she has a niece, Penelope. And Penelope is very, very good at investing, Jeff. And Aunt Prudence wants to help her niece, Penelope, uh, develop her wealth, too. So Aunt Prudence has loaned Penelope $50,000. $50,000 has been loaned. The expectation is that Penelope will invest the money, make money, and pay back Aunt Prudence. That's kind of the going in position. If Penelope doesn't pay the money back, 
um, I don't know, within whatever terms they had come up with, which is no terms, honey, just pay me back was what I heard. What are the task, the tax implications of not having a plan to pay back the loan? Oh, boy. I could see first having to run out and buy a bottle of aspirin. So those kind of loans are called demand loans, that you pay me back when I demand the money. It's yours until till I need it back. And um, if the loan goes bad, if uh, Penelope, with all her investment savvy, loses it all, and, and Prudence is going to be left high and, high and dry, uh, without paperwork, without without a loan document, a note, um, it sounds like a case for Judge Judy. Uh, <laughs> but fifty thousand dollars is too high for the for for the court TV. I think they have a five or a six thousand dollar limit. But at any rate, or whatever that is, um, if everything goes well, uh, the government has some rules that. This demand loan without terms and rates, um, uh, and Prudence has to pick up a certain amount of income every year regardless. It's called imputed interest. We don't want to get too technical here, but imputed interest is the rate that if you don't report the income and you don't have a note, you have to report that income according to the government. That rate table, why don't you tell us about the rate table? So, so- there are some technical issues here, but let's clean it up. So the demand, right, that demand loan, because Ann Prudence didn't put any documents in place, there's an interest rate associated with a demand loan. It's presently 2.42%. So that means that Penelope needs to at least pay Ann Prudence 2.42% of the $50,000, and she needs to pay that at least annually. And so where did they come up with that rate? Well, it's the applicable federal rate, which is is there's a new set of numbers every month. It is public record. Okay, so the applicable, um, it's it's actually the section seventy eight seventy two rate for a demand loan is two point four two percent. Now, let's say there were terms, Jeff. Okay, let's say that this money was to be paid back within a certain period of time. If it's paid three years or less, that's short term. Now you're talking about only 0.18%. Wow, that's a low. So that, that could be a, a good deal right there. But you need the documentation, okay? Um, if it was four to nine years, that's midterm, it's 0.43%. And nine or more years, it's 1.01%. So maybe she should consider having the document. That's kind of how we're educating uh, and Prudence Those and Penelope. family loans are famous for having little or no documents. You can see a similar kind of situation in a business where somebody wants to retire and the, the has partners and the partners are going to buy them out and they have a very similar kind of arrangement, but that usually has paperwork. The family stuff tends to have no paperwork. So there's a couple of things, though, that are, could be punishing to Aunt Prudence that she doesn't know about. First of all, um, if it is found out that um, Penelope has indeed uh, made some money with Aunt Prudence's loan, they look at what's called a net investment account, uh, a net investment income for Penelope. And if it's greater than $1,500, right? If the net investment income is greater than $1,500, then um, Prudence is going to have to pay 
the imputed income on that investment income. Okay? If it's less than, eh, the IRS doesn't care. So they really want to know, well, where's the money going and what's happening? You know, how do we get paid? So there's imputed income, which means that, you know, Aunt Prudence is going to have to pay tax on the money that Penelope didn't give to her. She has to pay tax on that because if Penelope did give her the interest, Aunt Prudence would have to pay tax on it. So the IRS doesn't care. Additionally, there's a gift that's been made, right? Another gift was made from Aunt Prudence to Penelope of that tax, right? That, or that, or that, that, interest. that interest that interest, wasn't yeah. given. So again, when you're dealing with intrafamily or what are known as kind of the, uh, the not arm's length loans, try to have documentation and look at, it's tremendous right now. Look how low the interest rates are. Okay. And this is another example of a seemingly small kind of issue that nobody should care about, but we're now learning that, oh yeah, people do care. The IRS does care. Wonderful and prudence that you're helping out your niece, but be careful that you don't get hurt. Good luck, prudence. Remember, the First Call Tax Advocates, Ron and Jeff, are your first responders. Board-certified professionals, over 60 years of experience. Visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more, explore, and leave a review. For more urgent matters, call them toll-free at 833-568-8999. That's 833-568-8999. And for you subscribers, we offer a complimentary consultation to discuss your tax matter. Our next caller is Rex from Reno. And Rex has been working for his firm for a good number of years. He uses whatever benefits are offered to him. And he his salary is about, I think he said, $100,000 this year. And he has group life insurance. He also has group disability insurance. He's getting a little older and he's thinking about, hmm, you know, what if I ever go to claim? What are the tax implications on group benefits, Jeff? Great question. So... Because you didn't pay for the, let's go with disability income, because you didn't pay for that, when you become disabled and you start to claim it, that money is taxable because it was a, an employer benefit. So the fact that he, he, Rex, didn't pay for that, when it goes to claim, the benefit that he receives, the disability income benefit, will be subject to Comp compensatory taxation, as if it was compensation, right? Right. And in some cases, he can buy additional group benefits. So in this case, then you'd have some benefits provided by the company and some benefits provided by him, which requires a, a calculation as to what's taxable and what's not taxable. What he paid for was paid for with after-tax dollars, and it would not be taxable. What the company paid for as an employee benefit is taxable. Okay, so if he paid after-tax, if it was something taken out of his paycheck uh, as a post-tax deduction, then if he were to go to claim, it would be a tax-free benefit. Right. Okay. So that's the disability income insurance. And Rex, let's hope that you don't have to use that. 
Um, and But check with your benefits administration about the options that you have. I mean, open enrollment every year, you get to refine your use of benefits. Okay, so what happens though in the, in the case of death with group life insurance? So my understanding of Rex's situation is he has the basic and then he has supplemental. So the tax implications for the basic, the first $50,000 of group life insurance is not in any way, shape or form taxable to the uh, to the coverage to the insured person. Right. They're not dead yet. Right. The they benefits the of, the, of the purchasing of the insurance. Right. right. So the first 50000 is exempt. But once you right. get above 50000 now there's an interesting calculation that takes place. And it's not based on the death benefit. There's a special table for that. That's right. That table gives us these interesting numbers based on your age. Okay. Um, I believe it is table one. And what happens with this table is based on your age, and it's usually a, you know, a 10-year range, there is a cost of insurance, let's say for I think the 40-year-old is $0.06 cents per $1,000 of death benefit per month. We don't want to get into this tedious calculation, but what they're saying is, what the law says is anything above 50000 it, it, the pure cost of insurance is considered income. It's imputed income. And in the very last paycheck, the employee will receive some type of a, of a income number that is to be taxed. It could be a couple of hundred bucks, depending upon how much insurance. Right. We're not talking about the actual insurance that you're paying tax on. We're talking about the cost of purchasing. And if you're looking at a W-2 over there on the left side on boxes 14, it would be category letter C as in Charlie. Uh, and that's the cost of insurance above $50,000. Right. The employer is paying the premium, but it's the cost of insurance that matters. So the pure cost of insurance is calculated uh, and it, it will be something that you've paid tax on and that allows for the death benefit to be tax-free. If Imagine if uh, premiums for life insurance, Jeff, were actually tax deductible and then the death benefits are taxable. Well, oh boy. I'm practicing long enough that I remember way back when where uh, the cost of life insurance was a deduction. It hasn't been in many, many years since the 60s and 70s, but I remember back when it was a deduction. Oh, <laughs> so. Lord. So, so bottom line, Rex, thanks for the question about your... Um, your benefits. There are other benefits you may receive at work. We'll save all of those for another episode. Good luck, Rex. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. You probably have additional questions, don't you? We are your first call. Remember, everyone's situation is unique, but we should be your first call. We are your first responders. The 911 operator doesn't call you. Please call us toll-free at 833-568-8999. Again, 833-568-8999. And visit our website at firstcalltaxadvocates.com. We'd love to know what you've learned today, so please leave a review on our website. 
We have attempted to appeal to a broad audience, but we want to help everyone if we can. On our next episode of What are the Tax Implications? We'll be discussing the following topics. Amended returns. To amend or not to amend. Also, the discharge of tax indebtedness. What are the rules around that? That's when you owe the IRS or the state and you just can't pay it and you go through bankruptcy. So then the discharge of a debt is through bankruptcy. And lastly, we'll be talking about the ROBS Business Financing Program, R-O-B-S. That stands for Rollover for Business Startup.